welcome to the Destined for Success podcast. I'm your host, Jennifer Takagi, and this podcast used to be called New Manager Media, Managed Right from the Start. Many of the concepts are the same, but there's a little shift. There's a shift because I know we are all destined for success, and I want to help you find the fastest, smoothest way to reach your highest best as quickly as possible. Join me in today's episode where you're going to come up with new ways to build your skills and influence others to make the impact you desire to make. I look forward to connecting with you soon. Welcome to Destined for Success. I'm your host, Jennifer Takagi, and I'm so excited today to have Dr. Amanda Crowell with us. She is another amazing person I met through Potapalooza. I've had a couple of interviews drop from Potapalooza, and she's another fascinating guest. Dr. Amanda is a cognitive psychologist, which is she's a PhD. She's not a clinical person to put you on the couch. A speaker, author, coach, a TED Talk with over a million, um, what do you call it, views. That is amazing and exciting and wonderful. Amanda, how did you get into this world? What are you doing? Tell us. Yeah. Well, you know, first of all, thank you for having me on your super fun podcast. I'm excited to be here. Um, So I am a cognitive psychologist and my primary original focus was on schools. Like how do we make schools better for our most vulnerable students? That's why I got my master's and my PhD and, and my whole focus for a long time was just being in schools with teachers and kids and um, administrators and what have you. And I still very much love that world. I still exist in that world to a large extent. Um, but while I was there, I noticed that a lot of what we know about schools is actually very, very relevant to what is true of people kind of writ large and adults, um, certainly college students, but even grown people are struggling and striving for the same things that we are trying to give students in schools. So uh, the best example of that is uh, these academic mindsets, which are these three beliefs that when you hold them, you're better able to keep going when things are hard. That's basically what academic mindsets are about. It's like, how can we get the students to be able to receive feedback and continue on to be able to, you know, struggle and dig in and seek other strategies and things like that. So the three academic mindsets are the answer to the question, what does it take for people to bounce back uh, during times of struggle? And the three are, they have to feel like they belong. They have to feel like, like that they can succeed in this environment and they have to believe that you believe that they can succeed in your environment. That's one. Um, That's the people like me one. People like me believe I can do this. Or sorry, people like me do this successfully. One of them is that you have to believe that you can do it. So often we have secret beliefs that, you know, some people can do math, but my brain's not designed that way. So I can't do math. And so that's called having a fixed mindset. Or you could believe that with effort over time, you could learn just about anything uh, with the right help and the right strategies. And that's called having a growth mindset. That's the second mindset. And then the third one is that you have to want to do it, that you have to value it. You have to value it for reasons of interest or curiosity, like you just find it interesting, or you have to see a direct connection between what it is you're doing and your long-term hopes and dreams. So those 
three mindsets are big in the world of schools. How can we create students who hold these beliefs so that when they struggle, they can overcome and ask for help and do the revisions and like ask questions and do all the things we want them to do in schools. And I discovered that when my own self was struggling to exercise after I'd had my two kids uh, and my back hurt a lot, like super bad, I was, I could barely walk. Um, and so I certainly wasn't getting on the floor with my infant, like being able to get up and down and carry my three-year-old. It was, you know, it wasn't really feeling like the mom I wanted to be. I realized that all three of these mindset blocks, I didn't think people like me exercised. I didn't, I thought some people could exercise, but I just cannot like, it's like, I don't like some genetically. I don't like to sweat. I'm uncomfortable. I'm not athletic. I don't watch sports. There's something about me. That's just like genetically incapable of exercise. I thought, and also I didn't want to. (laughs) So when all three of those were in place, like it's no wonder that I had never exercised. So I put myself through, um, you know, all the interventions that we do to help students develop these mindsets. And I had this remarkable success. I, I taught myself how to run and I taught myself how to swim and I taught myself how to bike. And then I did a triathlon and then I did a half marathon. And I was, I was just blown away by this because it was totally, it should never have been my story. And that's the story that is in the TEDx talk, which is called uh, three reasons why you're not doing what you say you want to do. And I realized at that time that that so many adult people are just beating themselves up about what they feel like they should have been able to do and aren't doing. And they've got all these stories about themselves and their inadequacies and their not enoughness. And really it comes down to, are you creating an environment for yourself where you can can sort of uh, rise up out of the struggle and keep going and uh, learn new ways of being? So I've, for many years, um, focused on helping people develop those mindsets. I do it in lots of different ways. Like I said, the TEDx talk is, is out there. I have a course that does it. And then I realized that, um, the way I talk about these mindsets in the TEDx talk is that it's about procrastination. Like, why are we procrastinating? Because that's something people really resonate with. I'm such a procrastinator. They say, or I'm so lazy. That's the thing that they say that makes me the most sad for them because it's not a real thing. Lazy is not a real thing. Um, And I realized that I didn't only want them to not procrastinate, that that was sort of base camp one. Like we have to stop opting for defensive failure, which is failure by not doing anything at all. And we have to kind of get, be willing to get into productive failure so that we can not just meet expectations, but go far beyond that and do our personal great work. So yes, in order to do great work, you have to not procrastinate and you have to not be a perfectionist and all of those things are true. And there's a whole other set of skills that I've become very fascinated with that are required for you to proactively do what matters the most to you. And that's what I've been doing uh, in the last, uh, well, since the pandemic, really, I wrote my book during the pandemic. It's coming out on June 7th called Great Work, Do What Matters Most Without Sacrificing Everything Else. Um, And that's, I have a podcast, great work, uh, unleashing your great work. It's called, and I'm just sort of endlessly fat. I can't tell you how fascinated I am by people who are genuinely doing the work that they feel they were brought here to do. It changes everything for them. And I find those stories just 
fascinating. So I'm, I wrote a whole book about them. I've got a whole podcast about them. I'm doing a talk to college students about great work, how to start off with the call to great work in college. So that's my fascination these days. Oh my gosh. I, I love that. And it's um, interesting about the great work piece because I went to college because I didn't want a full-time job. Like that was my goal was Mm -hmm. to put off a full-time job for four years. Mm -hmm. And, but I had to make good grades. Like I had standards. I had to make Mm -hmm. good grades. It wasn't like I was just going to go and, you know, party, which I did plenty of that, but it wasn't (laughs) like I was just going to party and flunk out or just barely make it. I was going to do well. So I did, I hit all my, my goals, my goals of college, never make below a Mm 3.0, never take a math class. Mm-hmm. and never drink coffee. And I won, I, I made them all and I graduated <laughs> honors, but so here I am with a degree in French and Spanish Okay. and, and no teaching certificate. Cause I didn't really mm-hmm. want to be a teacher. And it was like, so what am I going to do? And there was a bad economy at the time. It was hard to find a job because I had a degree in French, right? I didn't mm-hmm. have a business or mm-hmm. nobody wanted me bottom line. Nobody wanted me. So I ended up getting a temporary job in the federal government in housing mm-hmm. and then went to a mortgage company, had great success, and then went back and ended up working for the government for many years uh, in housing until I retired. And I was talking to a friend who was an engineer and we're just chatting about what we're doing, you know, life in general. And I said, well, you know, I really get a lot of satisfaction knowing that I help low income people. Mm-hmm. And there's a, you know, federal government, there's a lot of bureaucracy, a lot mm-hmm. of things to hate about it. But I got a paycheck every other week, which security was like a top value for me. Yeah. And I'm helping other people. Like mm-hmm. I had the power to make somebody go fix something in an apartment that was not working, right? Instead of the people mm-hmm. living in squalor. And I also had the right to yell at the person who was living in squalor because they wouldn't take the trash out. Like, so like, I I was like in my, my zone for sure. And I said, so I get a lot of satisfaction, uh, even with all the frustration of the fact of who I'm helping. And he sat there a minute and he goes, yeah, I don't have any of that. Like Mm. I, yeah, I have nothing. And I said, oh, but wait, (laughs) you're designing You're Mm -hmm. designing the speakers that go into the convention centers and and the music halls so people can go to concerts and listen to music and see live bands. And you don't think that's important? And he was like, oh, well, when you put it like that. (laughs) And so um, as you were telling the story, I thought, you know, how many people actually are living more of their purpose and doing good work and don't even have a concept of it. Like they never, cause I just do what I do. Yeah. Have you thought about the importance of, right. of what you're doing? Right. We right. want those speakers. Mm-hmm. We do. Right. Cause we want to see our favorite band and feel amazing and connected to the other people who love them. Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting. Cause like, I find that whatever lens you're looking through is what you find. Right. So if you're looking at the world seeking, um, I'm doing what's expected of me, I'm meeting expectations, I'm getting the paycheck that I want, then that's what you see. And the more times you see it, the more times you see it. Right. Because your brain is a repetition seeking missile. Right. It just wants to see the same things over and over again. That's just part of how it's wired. 
So if you sit around thinking about how you're, you know, you're a practical person, you work for your family, you're here for the money. Um, then if somebody's like, oh yeah, but is your work important? It can blow your mind, even though you maybe are satisfied when you go visit the arena during a concert and you think, oh, wow, there's my, my speakers are working well. That's good. You know, and you have that satisfaction. So some of great work is, is realizing and opening up to the notion of like valuing that valuing that you are doing something that matters to you and acknowledging that it matters to you. Because I find that without changing anything about your life, you don't have to get a new job. You don't have to divorce your husband. You don't have to move across the country. You don't have to get a new car, anything. You can radically change your perspective of your life just by looking at this exact same thing in a different way. And then making this, that comes down to some of that like school change stuff that I did. If you change the moments of your life, you change the trajectory and the outcome of your life. There's no like big change that is anywhere near as powerful as a bunch of little changes in terms of transformation. So if that guy says, you know what? I want to see more value in my life. He'd be a whole lot better not quitting his engineering job and going and joining the Peace Corps or whatever, but instead looking at his own life and making choices to recognize the places where he finds a lot of value finding the relationships that he feels the best when he's engaged with them and making choices in the moments of his life to engage with them more, seeking opportunities to do projects that if he finds, I really love the little stages better than the big arenas, offering to do more of the little stages. I don't know who this guy is, right? But those kinds of decisions can make you feel like you're doing, not make you feel, make you realize how much great work you're already doing. And by the virtue of that, more opportunities for great work will become visible to you. They were around you all the time, but your lens wasn't, your lens to see them wasn't in place. Put the lens in place and you realize that you live in a world of opportunity and you always have. And this goes right along with, I'm gonna say Marianne Williamson's quote that a mm-hmm. miracle is a change in your perception, yeah. change in your perception, change in your perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times that person didn't change. Mm-hmm. Your job didn't change. Your responsibilities mm-hmm. didn't change, but how you view it, mm-hmm. as you say, the lens you're looking through as that changes and is modified and tweaked can change the whole thing. Um, it, and I, I think we might've talked about this a little bit before we hit the record button, <laughs> but it's that, that, um, that idea of living your whole life out of a sense of duty. Mm-hmm. My mom and I had those conversations a little bit, but not too much because she lived her entire life out of a sense of duty. Mm-hmm. Everything was required. Um, she was washing dishes at my grandmother's. We were leaving one time and she had gotten crosswise with her dad. And I mean, I was already born. She was probably in her forties at that point. Mm-hmm. And my dad said, why are you crying? Oh, my father said whatever. And he goes, well, dry your hands. Let's just leave. We don't have to be here. And yeah. she said, my name would be mud if I didn't finish washing the dishes, you know, cause that was her perspective mm-hmm. of, of the world but everything was a sense of duty. And that was something that was very ingrained in me. Mm -hmm. And I really had to have some deep conversations with myself of, 
am I cooking dinner? Cause, and I love to cook. So typically that's not really a thing, but you know, every now and then we're just bored with it. Nobody tells you what to cook. So you get bored with it. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> It was like, am I cooking this meal out of a total sense of duty? Cause I have to cook dinner and we have to eat or do I love my husband and mm. I want to cook a great dinner so we can sit down and have dinner together and talk about mm. the day. And mm. so I'm still cooking the dinner, Dr. Amanda, I'm still <laughs> cooking the dinner, but I'm doing it with different energy. I'm doing it with a different yeah. feel. I'm, I'm still putting out an amazing dinner, but mm-hmm. There's that yes. feeling. I bet it is because you have a baking business too. So I bet everything you make is really delicious. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it's interesting. One of the chapters in the book, great work is um, it's like, I think it might be chapter five and it is, it's a, it's a chapter about self-expertise, which is one of these um, really under, well, first of all, it's my term. So it makes sense that nobody's heard of it, but like as a concept goes, we're all looking for like best practices and tips and tricks and like high performance habits and all of these like guarantees that if I do these things, then I will, I will be productive or I will be rich or I will be happy, right? I will achieve these pinnacles of human life. And what I find is that it's a lot better for yourself and your sense of great work and your sense of purpose and your sense of balance, maybe most of all, if you think of uh, all of these sets of tips and tricks and suggestions and stuff as like your own research arm out there in the world, suggesting things that you will bring back into your own life and try. And some of them will work for you and some of them won't work for you. And over time, as you pay attention to what does work for you. And they were there. Sometimes this comes out of change management. Sometimes the tweaks are so small that you would think they would not have an impact at all. And the impact that they have is outsized. So things like, do you do, when do you pay your bills? Let's just say that you feel like out of obligation, I'm going to do my taxes and pay my bills and like do my books and open the mail. Right. But like what time of day, which day of the week do you do that? We'll have a, you will have a completely different experience of that task. And it depends on you as a person and your tendencies and the way you see the world and the way you've structured your habits, whether doing it first thing on Monday morning is the best time or whether doing it Sunday afternoon or Tuesday during lunch, right? Like timing is one of those things that can have an outsized impact on the way that you're doing it. So when you were talking about cooking dinner for your husband, yes, some of it is focusing on the fact that you love him and you want him to be nourished and you want him to live a long life and you want to live a long life and and you like cooking and all of that, that makes a huge difference. And so might other things that pull out some of the tension that makes it feel like such a drag. Like if you were to plan all of your meals on the weekend, what would, what kind of an impact would that have on the drudgery of creating the meals? Or if he picked two of them and he picked what we were going to have, he'll still cook it, but he picks it what impact does that have on the feeling of drudgery about it? If you try plated, if you decide you're going to have two vegetarian nights a week, if you decide you're going to have two two nights a week where you cook like you've got kids in the house and it's all hot dogs and mac and cheese. I don't know what the answers are, but there are a multitude of things that you can try. And if you're paying attention to yourself during those and recognizing the way that they impact you, you can suddenly have a life where, where your lens is, is on there for gratitude you know, and, and perspective, 
and you've removed a lot of the tension and the friction and the, the sort of drudgery of your life just by doing it in different ways. So there's lots of ways to make space for room in, in your life for great work. And I really think that's what we're making the room for. Some of it's to let the great work shine through and what we're already doing. And some of it's like remove some of this friction so that you have a little more bandwidth to do the stuff that really is calling you that you feel like you don't have the time for. And I think that being mindful Mm. and having it come to your attention, like Mm -hmm. I feel horrible when I have to do this, how can I do it differently? Like, Mm -hmm. that's not how you said that at all, but that's kind of how I, I Mm -hmm. (laughs) interpreted Mm -hmm. it for myself. Mm -hmm. Like, I hate to open the mail. Well, maybe it's better for me to open the mail all at one time and just get it over with and done Mm -hmm. versus um, you know, dealing with it daily, like, right. That might bring right, exactly. So it's all the things that we do. So it's almost like, uh, make a list of the things that you hate the most and figure out a way to make it less intrusive. Mm-hmm. That's one way to think of it. And we, there's another way that, um, we in change management, one of the things we talk about is that it's a lot easier to improve something that's good than it is to fix something that's broken. So you have to fix truly broken windows in your life, right? If you are not paying your bills, you've got to figure out how to pay your bills because they're, that's like life, right? Like that's adulthood. And if you're feeling like your life is drudgerous and you don't want to find the energy to build adventure in, sometimes the little tweaks can be to make something you do love even better. And then we call that bright spots. Like if you follow the bright spots of your life and turn up the light on them, sometimes that generates enough energy and enthusiasm to make you feel like now you can kind of go talk about the things that you hate. So it's, again, that's self-expertise too. It's just about like, what do you need? When do you need it? And making sure that you're not trying to fix all 10 of the things that you hate while turning up the amplification on the seven things that you love all at the same time, because that will just turn into its own overworking hot mess and you will be just as tired as you were before. You know, it's just doing one thing, right? Address one thing at a time. I I was visiting with a gal one time and she had like this wheel of all the different aspects of your life. And she was like, you can't focus on all of them at once. Like pick one. Mm-hmm. you know, like you yeah. say, amplify it, make it better. And then, you know, move to another, and then let it go on autopilot while you work on something else. Uh, let, oh, autopilot. Oh my gosh. I love that. We've gotten so many great things out of this. So we have to open up to the value of what you're doing. I love that. And I love that you've given us several different ways to mm. do that. And the whole self-expertise, you know, what do we do well? What do we do well? Mm -hmm. Let's focus on that and make it better. I've heard that in um, like a different context, but I hadn't really considered Mm -hmm. it in this one. Um, And I love the fact that you went from somebody who hated to exercise to a triathlete (laughs) and a marathon runner. I mean, (laughs) half marathon, half marathon. Okay. But I don't even like to drive (laughs) 13 miles. So (laughs) I say it. Right. (laughs) It's a thing to me. So impressive. And TEDx talk. I mean, that's. Thank you. That that's just a whole thing. I have loved our time here together, Amanda, and I really appreciate you sharing all your wisdom because you've definitely put in the work and the great work uh, Mm -hmm. to come up with these 
you know, a lot of times creation is just putting things together in a way that's different than we ever imagined. And you Mm -hmm. have truly done that in a really beautiful way. And I appreciate that. And I appreciate your time. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you. I'm Jennifer Takagi with Destined for Success, and I look forward to connecting with you soon. Thank you for taking your time to spend with me on this latest podcast of Destined for Success. Please take a moment to leave a review, share it with a friend, and subscribe and get the newest episodes every Monday morning. I'm Jennifer Takagi, and I look forward to connecting with you soon. 